and that he ultimately is the one that's satisfied. So thank you, worship team, for putting that together. And uh, as we get into the word of God, let's have a word of prayer and talk to our Heavenly Father who's right here with us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've done in our lives. Thank you for everyone that's here today. Lord, we are uh, your servants. We're your followers. And God, you made us, you created us, and you loved us all the way to the cross, Jesus. And so, Lord, as we open up your word, may we open up our hearts as well. May we have tender hearts today to hear what your Holy Spirit has to say to us in our hearts. And so we pray this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, we are back in the series entitled The Ordinary Superheroes of the Old Testament. We've been walking through the amazing, ordinary people that met an extraordinary God and they changed the world. That could be you and me too, right? You're ordinary people just like me, right? But God can take our ordinariness and do extraordinary things that can last for eternity. That's what the body of Christ is all about. That's what the church is all about. That we can change the eternities of people. We began in the very beginning and I want to go through this because I want you to know the story. I want you to kind of have a feeling for the timeline of the Bible, right? So that the... Uh, the Bible isn't kind of a locked book for you. It's not like, I, got, I love the New Testament, but the Old Testament, oh man, it's so hard to jump into the Old Testament. I want you to know the story so that you'll be more comfortable jumping in. We began in the beginning with Adam and Eve, and then Cain and Abel, and then Noah, and then the Tower of Babel. We talked about Abraham. We spoke about Isaac and studied him, and about Jacob, and about Joseph, the man with that amazing multicolored jacket. And then we talked about Moses, who led two million people out of slavery. Joshua and Caleb, two spies that spied out the promised land and said, hey, God's given it to us. Let's go. Let's get it. But the people didn't believe God for a victory. So they wandered in the wilderness until Joshua conquered Jericho and began the conquering of the promised land. Deborah and Gideon were two um, judges that ruled in the nation of Israel after they conquered the land. Ruth, an amazing woman of faith. Samuel, a prophet for God. David, that king who had a heart for God. Solomon, who had a great start but then made some bad decisions near the end of his reign. Elijah, this prophet for the Lord, who stood up against hundreds of false prophets at Mount Carmel, believed God would bring down fire from heaven, and he did. Then we talked about this young king. After the kingdom was split into two, a young king in the southern kingdom of Judah named King Josiah, who got rid of all the idols and got rid of the worship of Baal and cleansed the country. Today we're talking about this guy. We'll get to him in a second. Jeremiah, this prophet who would watch the destruction of the city of Jerusalem just like he prophesied would happen. Why? Because after King Josiah, there was not one godly king. Not one king stood up for the Lord, and it got worse. And God said, because of your rebellion against me, you will be destroyed by Babylon. There won't be that protection for you. But I want to take a moment and look at the structure of the Old Testament because I know as you jump in to the Bible, sometimes it can be confusing, right? We know, like, for example, when you take your Bible, there's at the very beginning the table of contents with all the books of the Old Testament. And you can start looking down that list of books and think, hey, man, I'm in the middle of that list, like Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. That's in the middle of that list. I'm about halfway through the story of the Old Testament. That's not true, and I'll show you why in just a second. There are three major divisions. So I'm going to ask you to participate a little bit in this. There are three major divisions in the Old Testament. The first major division is called the history division. So talk to me. What's the first 
division called, that major division is called the what? History. You can do better than that. What's it called? History. Exactly. Say it with confidence because you are a sharp group today. There are how many books in that historical section? Well, there are 17 books in that first major division called history. So say it again. What's that first major division called? It's called what? History. Thank you. How many books? 17. Divided into two divisions. The first division has five books. That first division, any idea what it's called? Law, Torah, five books of Moses. Somebody said it over here. Pentateuch, uh, the five books that make up the first five books. Sorry about that. The Old Testament. Uh, Penta meaning five, Tuch meaning scrolls, right? So that's the name that's given to that first section there. It's called the Pentateuch. So that first major division is called the history section, 17 books. First section called the Pentateuch, five books. How many books are left over then in the history section? Twelve, exactly. Now, theologians who study the Old Testament have come up with a name that accurately summarizes those 12 books. I mean, think about it. Coming up with one word that can accurately summarize 12 books of history. Well, these creative theologians, I've read a lot of them in, in seminary, they're so creative. These creative theologians came up with one word that wraps up these 12 books into one amazing label. And that one word is this, the other historical books. Don't you love that word? The other, that wraps it up, doesn't it? The other historical books. So that first major division, talk to me, is called the what? History section. Uh, the first section is called the Pentateuch. How many books? The second section is called the other. How many books? The second major division is called the poetry division. That has five books in it. So what's that second major division called? It's called the what? Poetry. How many books? Exactly. The third major division is called the prophecy division. And that too has 17 books in it. It's divided into two sections as well, just like the history section. And those two sections are these. The first five books are called the major prophets, okay? So that leaves how many books left over in the rest of the prophecy section? Twelve, exactly. What do you think is the name of that section? No, it's the other prophets as well. No, you're right. It's the minor prophets. I just have to throw it in there. The Minor Prophets. Why is it called the Minor Prophets? Yeah, they're, they're shorter. They're five foot ten or shorter. That's why they are in the Minor Prophets. No, no, actually they're called the Minor Prophets because you have to be under the age of 18 to write in that section. Is that why? No, actually you're right. They're shorter in length. So not less inspired, not less important, but they're shorter in length. So they were put in the Minor Prophets. Now, people have thought, for example, when you get to the end of the history section, get down to Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, that's about halfway through the list of books in the Old Testament. And you might think, I'm about halfway through the story of the Old Testament. You're not. When you look at that history section and uh, see that uh, there are the three last books in that section, you are at the very end of Old Testament history. In fact, that whole section is ultimately pointing to Jesus Christ, the coming of Christ. That's really what the story of the Old Testament is all about, the coming of the Messiah who would make a way for us to be right with God. Now, the poetry books, let me show you where they fit in. They fit in right about there in our walk down the history section, all right? Our prophecy books fit in right about there, as we walk through the historical section. 
So you need to understand that. As you read through the historical section and end with Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, you are right at the end of Old Testament history. 400 years of silence, then Jesus shows up. So it's important to understand that as you read it. That's where we've been getting most of the folks that we've been looking at in this kind of walk through the Old Testament. We've been building them out of the historical section. And as you know, there have been major periods that we've looked at. Let me pick it up from the wandering in the wilderness. That was for 40 years as they doubted God's ability to give them the victory. The conquest of the promised land took seven years. You can see the books that cover that underneath each uh, time period. Then after the conquest, the judges like Deborah, Gideon, Samson, those three, they ruled the nation of Israel for about 400 years. Then after that, Samuel anointed the first king of Israel during the United Kingdom period. The three kings during that time were Saul, David, and Solomon. But after Solomon's reign, his compromises led to a divided nation. And that divided kingdom lasted 350 years until Babylon would come and destroy the city of Jerusalem. That's when Jeremiah lived. Jeremiah was a prophet who showed up on the scene with not a pleasant message. The message basically was this. You've rebelled against God. You've disobeyed God. Now God will judge you. But all hope is not lost because God has plans to prosper the nation of Israel. For 70 years after Jerusalem was destroyed, and we'll get to that next week, they were in exile in Babylon. Thousands of Jews marched off to Babylon for 70 years. Jeremiah was a prophet who had a tough message, and I want to look at that message. In fact, let me share with you briefly where the prophets ministered. Not all of them were in Israel. In Babylon, there were two during that 70-year period, Ezekiel and Daniel. In Assyria, a kingdom to the north, there were two prophets as well, Jonah, the guy who got swallowed by that great fish, and Nahum. In the northern kingdom of Israel, before it was destroyed in 722 B.C., they had two prophets, Hosea and Amos. A brother nation to Israel had a prophet by the name of Obadiah. He ministered in the country of Edom. The rest of the prophets were prophets in the southern kingdom of Judah. It lasted longer. It wasn't destroyed until 586 B.C. Jeremiah was one of the prophets in the southern kingdom of Judah. So we're going to get into our study in Jeremiah. The bottom line of our talk today is this. God longs for us to love and seek him and reject those things which deceptively offer satisfaction but ultimately lead to emptiness and despair. I hope you know today around you there are offers for you to get into something, get involved with something that seem like it offers satisfaction but ultimately leads to destruction, emptiness, meaningless, and despair. Man, my throat's a little dry. I need to get some water. But anyway, uh, that, that these things can seem good but in essence are broken things. And I love this cup. This has been a great cup for me. But in essence are broken things that don't really work like they should. And they lead you away from God. This cup was given to me one of my kids, and I just love holding on to it. Would you want something to drink, Dorothy? No, no, no. Here, you want a little drink? No, we can't. <laughs> it's, really, it's really nice to drink from. It does have some problems, but I keep going back to it because I love clinging to broken things, which is exactly what the message of... Here, you want to hold this, Jean? No, I'll, I'll, take it. I'll put it over. Which is exactly what the message of Jeremiah was. Why are you holding on to broken things? Why have you left the God that works for you? And, and when he 
you think about it, you think, yeah, that's, that, that choice should be so obvious. Stick with the God who's blessed you. Stick with the God that you made a covenant with. But sadly, they didn't. Like you'd open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 2. I can get a cup like that just for you, just like that. You'll love it. This is Jeremiah's message. And again, it's not an easy message. He says this, and this is from the Lord speaking through Jeremiah. God says this, Therefore, I will contend with you, declares the Lord, and your children's children I will contend. For cross to the coasts of Cyprus and sea and send to Kedar. Uh, Cyprus and Kedar were to the east and west. And examine with care. See if there has been such a thing. Now listen to this. God asks this question. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? God says this. Look at all the nations around you. They have these false gods, these false idols. You never hear of any one of these nations abandoning their gods. But Israel, that's exactly what you have done. Judah, that's what you have done as well. says this, But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two great evils. They have forsaken me. The fountain, here it is, right? We just sang about it. The fountain of living waters and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns which can hold no water. They have holes in them. They're leaking. And yet you've dug these things out thinking that you'll find satisfaction in these broken things. Here's the title of the message. Stop pursuing what's broken. People today, I know it like you do. All around you is broken thinking. All around you, There are broken lifestyles. All around you are people living in a broken world that's broken from God's word. And it's time for us to realize what we have is so precious. What we have is so awesome that we have the truth of this God who created us. He created the world around us. You know, I love science. I love reading about God's fingerprints all throughout creation. The evidence, the scientific evidence is powerful. And Jeremiah shows up on the scene when the kingdom is divided. He comes in from 627 to 586 BC. 586 was when Jerusalem was destroyed and gives them this tough message. You might ask, well, what are the cisterns he's talking about? Cisterns were man-made structures that were used to hold water. Here could be one example, of, but it's broken on the ground. A man-made thing to hold water. Generally, though, there were holes in the ground that were dug. And the uh, Israelites would take plaster and put them on the walls to try to hold the water. But very often, they were broken and would leak. And as you can imagine, cisterns, which held runoff water, generally it was polluted water. Polluted water in Israel. There were three sources of water. One, were, uh, one was uh, the, the fresh springs that they had in Israel, and that was the best water, the fresh springs that were there. Another way of getting water in Israel was to dig a well, second best way. The worst way, but they needed water so desperately, was they would dig these pits and, and design them to catch runoff water when it rained. In Israel, like San Diego, there were about three or four months where about 80% of the rain would come. They would dig these huge pits and try to catch the water. We can imagine what would happen over time. Bacteria would grow. They would would get polluted. But it was still water that they desperately need, but it was polluted water, not nearly as refreshing as the springs and fountains that Israel had. 
Here's the first mistake that Judah made with that in mind. Mistake number one, rejecting God's correction, conviction in your life. See, God says this, I'm going to contend for you, uh, Judah. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to fight with your children's children because I want you to come back to me. See, God is fighting with the Jews to correct them, to get them back on the path. They've rejected God and they're worshiping false gods. All these prophets in the country worshiping Baal. They had rejected God. And God reminded them right before the passage I just read of this. This is what he said. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness. Thus says the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me? God's saying, what did I do wrong? Why have you left me? Why are you following these false gods? Going after, and this is what he says, going after worthlessness and became worthless. See, what I want to tell you is this. Every day of our lives, there are forces aligned against believers who want to focus on God to draw you away, to pull you away, to start being distracted, to get you away from what is truly valuable in your life. You know, we sang it this morning, right? Uh, Right before the, the testify song that you can have all the world. You can have the whole world. Just give me Jesus. Now, if somebody made that offer to you, Hey, you can have the whole world, but if you have the whole world, you can give up, you have to give up Jesus. Or you can have Jesus and not have anything in the world. Which would you take? And believe me, I hope you understand this. If you have to think about that even for a minute, what should I take? The whole world or Jesus? What should I take? The whole world or Jesus? You don't understand how important it is to put your faith in Christ. Because all of this world will end at some point. It will be gone. Only what you have in Jesus Christ will last forever and ever. This world ultimately is worthless compared to a relationship with Christ. Jesus put it this way. What does it profit a person if he or she gains the whole world but loses what? His soul. See, Judah had given up its soul to these false gods. They had rejected the true and living God And God said, you know what, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to contend with you, declares the Lord, and with your children's children. Because he had a good message, ultimately. God's promise was this. It was given later in the book of Jeremiah. God says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your what? Heart Church, may we be people that, that we do exactly what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's when you find out what Jesus said is ultimately true. I came that you might have life and have it what? Abundantly. But so often we get pulled away. We get pulled away into the, all this worthless stuff around us. You know, even as Jeremiah was watching Jerusalem being destroyed, he wrote the book of Lamentations. He wrote two books, Jeremiah and Lamentations. And he wrote this, as he's watching Jerusalem being destroyed by the Babylonians, you can imagine how difficult that was. Think of this. Think of Washington, D.C. being destroyed by Russian tanks. Russian tanks rolling over the city, knocking down buildings and everything that's there. 
That would be heartbreaking, devastating. But for the Jew, Jerusalem was even more than a political center. It was the center of their worship. And he's watching Babylonian forces destroying the city of Jerusalem and yet has the strength to write these words. Because of the Lord's loving devotion, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You know that hymn that we sing, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my... That came out of this verse. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. What Jeremiah declares without hesitation is this. No matter how bad life gets, I'm sticking with the Lord. Not leaving God. Even though all of Judah had turned away from God and were following false idols, broken idols, they're not gods at all. God says, hey, I have plans for you. Church, I want you to know the same plans he has for Israel, the same plans he has for you, to give you a hope and a future. And this world wants to distract you. This world wants you to be embarrassed about your faith. This world wants you to hide in the corner and not say a word about Jesus. When God calls us to stand up and hold our heads high and say, I believe in Jesus. I believe he created everything and I'm a follower of his. He proved what he said was true by dying and rising again. That's what we celebrated last week. That's why the doors of the church are open because Jesus is alive. Here's mistake number two. Looking for real satisfaction or significance in your life apart from God. You will never find real satisfaction apart from God. But the Israelites made that mistake. They were looking for real satisfaction apart from God. You can't find it. You will not find it. You'll just find emptiness after emptiness. And I know that there are things in this world that can be appealing. And believe me, the Bible's true. The Bible's accurate when it says this, that money in and of itself is not evil. Possessions in and of themselves are not evil. It's how you use them. It's how you view them. Money is a tool, right? But if you love money more than God, it becomes an idol. And the Jews in Judah had idols all around them. They'd rejected the true and living God. What did God say? Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. The word shocked is just one example of the words that God uses here is the word sahar. It means to shudder when you think about it, for the, the hairs on your neck to stand up, to be horribly afraid of the implications of this, to reject the living God. And we have heard this awesome message about Jesus, this God that created everything, that came to this planet and lived 33 years as a sinless Lamb of God who would take your sins and mine on the cross for us. And he stands at the door and knocks, as I shared last week. I want to ask you, have you opened the door of your life to him? Are you excited about being a follower of Jesus? That you could say like David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not what? Want, exactly. No matter what the circumstances, I shall not want. I think I've shared with you in the past that my 13-year-old son loves basketball. I don't know where he gets it from. He loves basketball. I'm not sure where he got it. But there's one player that he really loves. Anybody remember who he was? Steph Curry, exactly. He loves Steph Curry. He watches everything Steph Curry does. And to my pleasant surprise, Steph Curry puts a verse on his shoe. Anybody know what verse he puts on there? 
He has a verse on his basketball shoes. I'm not sure about all of them, but I've seen them on his shoes. It's Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, that verse is often taken out of context, right? Like, I I would love to claim that verse and go out on the court and say, man, I'm going to shoot just like Steph Curry. I can do all things that strengthen me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's really not what that verse is saying. It doesn't mean that I can jump over tall buildings or stop a speeding train. What it does mean is this. Paul, in the context of this verse, is saying, hey, in my life, I've had times of plenty. Everything has come my way. I've had times of poverty. I've lived in difficult circumstances. I've lived in good times and bad times, is the context of Philippians 4. And then he says these powerful words, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What Paul's saying is, no matter what circumstances come across my path, I can live in these circumstances through the power of Christ who gives me strength. I can walk through these circumstances one step at a time challenge is there for us to be the same kind of believer, right? No matter what the circumstances, God, I'm not going to follow you when things are just going my way and everything's great. I'm going to follow you no matter what the circumstances are. I'm going to put my faith and trust in you. The two evils that the Jews committed, they abandoned the living God, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You know, we talked about it already. Three sources these, these fountains of fresh running water in Israel, man, they were the best. Wells were okay. That was the second way. But nobody really wanted to drink out of a polluted cistern. But that's what the people were seeking. And they were broken, broken cisterns. I want to ask you today, where are you finding real satisfaction in your life? Are you hoping one day that you'll have more than the Joneses and then you'll be happy? That you'll have this big bank account and then you'll be satisfied with life but until then you're living life discontented not happy with what's going on see so many people put their passion in things that don't matter they're self-focused their significance is based on what they have or don't have they're seeking to impress others through their power or prestige or possessions god says that's broken it's a broken lifestyle what god is calling us to is something much higher. What he asks us to do is focus on this. Make your life Christ-focused. The significance you have is based on your relationship with Christ and who you are in Christ. And you know that no one can ever take that away from you. And that we are to seek to please Christ. And how do we do that? By serving others as we serve him. To live a life that's devoted to Christ. That he is the passion of our lives. And, you know, we've been given this amazing cure to spiritual cancer. Riverview has it, right? It's Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We have this amazing cure to spiritual cancer, and people around us are suffering from it. And I want you to know, here's something important to realize. Sometimes we forget it. People all around us are searching. People around us are searching. There's one story that comes right out of San Diego. Every time I think about it, I'm reminded of how much people are searching. Do you remember this story about Heaven's Gate cult? The cult that existed right down here in Rancho Santa Fe? This is in 1997, not all that long ago. There were about 39 people living in a mansion in Rancho Santa Fe. These 39 people were supporting themselves by designing web pages. Marshall Applewhite believed that his partner, a woman by the name of Nettles, his soulmate, who died of cancer in 1985, was piloting a spaceship in the tail of the Hale-Bob Comet 
to take them to paradise, the next level. How many of you remember taking out your binoculars and looking at the hale Bob comet when it was coming through? It was amazing. He believed that his partner was piloting a spaceship and that if they all would do this, if the group of 39, they couldn't go there in their present human form, if all of them committed suicide, they would be transported to the spaceship in the tail of the Hale-Bob Comet. When I hear that story, I'm amazed at the ridiculous things that people will actually believe and yet reject Christ. People are searching. And we're to be like the seed thrower, right? The seed thrower who th throws out the seed. Some will land on good soil, some won't. But we're to tell people about Jesus and how he changes our lives, changes our eternity. And what makes him unique is his death and resurrection that gives his message authority. Here's another thing about people. People often pursue broken things. They'll hold on to that broken thing because it has some sort of sentimental value. It has some sort of value uh, to them that makes them hold on to it, missing out the, on the incredible thing that they could have. What does that become? That becomes idolatry. What's idolatry? I took it right out of the Webster's Dictionary. Excessive uh, devotion to or reverence for some person or thing. Anything in our lives that we love more than God becomes an idol. You know, I want my wife to love God more than she loves me. And I know she feels the same way about me. She wants me to love God more than I love her. Because when both of us are loving God that same way, we can ultimately hope to have this life that is designed by God, a marriage that is designed by God, that is fulfilling, that leads to that abundant life that God promises. But there are often idols in our lives. What are they? For some people, it's power. For others, it can be success. I just want people to think I'm successful. I want a lot of stuff. So people look at me and say, wow, that person has made it. It could be sexuality that has become your God. It could be money. A tool that should be used for God could become your God. It could be your own leisure time and activities. Activities that take you away from reading the Word of God or even being in church. But Mel, I love these activities and there's nothing in the Bible against them. Always remember this. A good thing can become a bad thing when it keeps you from what? The best thing. A good thing, the Bible doesn't speak against it, can become a bad thing when it keeps you from the best thing. I want to ask you, what in your life is pulling you away from the God that died on the cross for you? What in your life is distracting you from getting deeper with God, pursuing Him more? Here's another potential idol is security. I want to be safe and secure. I don't want people to, to laugh at me for being a Christian. I want to have my security. It could be this, short-term pleasure. The Bible's really honest about sin. It's pleasurable, but for a season, then it starts to destroy you and pull you down. I tell people this all the time. There's no greater pleasure than work, walking for God and living for God. There's no greater pleasure than living for God. But there, the world out there wants to tell you there's more that you can have. You, you need to leave this God and pursue all these other things that are broken and they lead to a, an empty life. Here's the next thing we need to understand. People stubbornly cling to broken things. I don't know why. I don't know why, but they do. I want to ask you today, is there anything you're clinging to that's keeping you from getting deeper with God? Jesus met a woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Remember her? 
And she's like, Jesus asked her for a drink, and she's, whoa, a Jewish guy asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? That, that thing never happens. Then Jesus said these words. I love these words. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink. You know what he's saying there? To the Samaritan woman, if you only knew who I was, the creator of the universe standing right here with you, if you only knew who I was, then you would ask me for a drink and I would have given you living water. The choice should be obvious. Then he said this to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again that physical water at the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. I hope you know today who's calling you to this amazing relationship with him, Jesus Christ. Don't make mistake number three, forgetting the eternal consequences of rejecting the living God. The Bible says, be appalled at this. How can you leave the living God and pursue all these dirty water cisterns, polluted water? So here's my challenge to you as we close. Reject compromises. Reject any compromise that pulls you away from the Lord. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh. Don't plan to sin again. Get rid of it. Make decisions that will keep you from whatever's pulling you away from God. Here's the second thing. Renew your thinking. Change your way of thinking. That's what the Bible says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Be transformed by the renewal of your what? Of your mind. See, God wants to enter into that process, but you have to allow it. You've got to do this divine cooperative with God. Yeah, God, I'm going to change the way I'm thinking. I'm not going to value the possessions of this world more than I value you. I'm not going to start thinking like people who do not know you. I'm going to realize that my greatest possession is my relationship with you, God. Strip everything away from me. The last thing I want to hold on to is my relationship with Jesus Christ. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It's all I need. Here's the next thing. Humble yourself. Don't let pride get in the way. The next verse after the renew your mind is this, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. God loves humble hearts. And just like the Jews in Judah dug these cisterns that were broken and, and held polluted water, and yet they were being drawn to these things, our challenge should be this. Instead of digging cisterns, we need to dig God. Amen? We, we need to dig get God, get deeper with God pull nearer to him. Be that radical who goes against the crowd. I found this picture of this fish. I even made a little picture of a fish swimming upstream. Here it comes. This little picture. There he is, swimming upstream. Be that radical who does not live by the, like the rest of this world, who lives according to the principles of Christ, knowing that this, that those who seek God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Stop pursuing broken things. Stop pursuing broken things. Realize what you have in your relationship with God and pursue God with all your heart. Amen, church? Amen. Let's bow our hearts in prayer. As your hearts are bowed in prayer today, maybe today's the day you say, Lord, I want to get rid of this thing that's pulling me away from you. Help me to realize how precious my relationship with you is. And God, I pray that for me as well. Help me as a pastor to keep totally focused on you, Lord. Help us to walk out of this place knowing that our calling is to live a life that glorifies you in everything. 
and that one day we will see you face to face. Take this whole world, but give me Jesus. You can take the whole thing, but give me Jesus. Lord, we love you, and we pray this in your matchless name. Amen. Let's all stand together and sing this song. Give me your heart, give me your song, sing it with all your mind. Come to the fountain and you can be satisfied. There is a peace, there is a love, you can get lost inside. Come to the fountain and let me hear you testify. There is a peace, there is a love, you can get lost inside. Come to the fountain. Let me hear you testify. Amen. Hey, so we have elders up front who love to pray with you about anything going on in your life. Please remember men to sign up for the men's retreat and live this week all for him. God bless you. See you on the patio.